Thank you, Spencer. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 is our passage this morning. Just to follow up on one of our announcements, if you're interested in going to the uh, March on Friday, uh, please let me know. Uh, someone has expressed interest, and I want to put you, connect you with each other so that you can carpool if you're interested in doing that. So if you're interested in going down to the Capitol on Friday, please just uh, mention it to me. All right, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, a very timely message for today. Uh, which is, by the way, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, Mark twelve thirteen through 17. Hear the word of God. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is God's inerrant word, his uh, holy and breathed out word. May he bless what we've read, and let me ask for his help as we uh, continue this morning. Jesus, please uh, give us insight into your word today. Uh, please help us hear and understand the truth that's before us uh, and this thorny issue of, of government and uh, what to do about our government. God, guide us and lead us in your truth. Give us hearts that are receptive, and Lord, help me to preach and think clearly and proclaim uh, the truth of your word this morning. We entrust ourselves to you and pray that you would enliven us with your good spirit. We ask Jesus in your name. Amen. Well, when I was in the first grade, um, my teacher, Mrs. Biddle, started out every class uh, every day the same. We would all stand at our chairs, much like you see the children behind me. I don't know if you can see it, but this guy is cooked up trouble up here. Everybody else is reciting the pledge. He's got that evil grin on his face. It's obviously the class clown. Um, we would stand by our, our desks, like you see, and we would recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And then following uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, we would sing. Yes, that's right. In first grade, we would our teacher would lead us in the song, My Country, Tis of Thee. And why that song? Because it's easier for first graders to sing than the national anthem. So uh, it's probably been a while since you've recited the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, you don't need to recite it with me, but let me remind you of the words in the Pledge of Allegiance. It goes, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Now, you pause there sometimes, one nation under God. That's not how to say it. 
one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You might not be comfortable saying this anymore, uh, reciting the pledge, especially given the stance uh, announced by our president and vice president on abortion. Uh, according to World Magazine, uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris have made support for abortion one of the key planks of their platform for re-election. They refer to it as abortion advo advocacy. There are many in our government who support abortion and other unbiblical views. Some say that we should no longer support the government, that Christians should stand opposed to the government. What do you think? Should we stop paying our taxes and resist government authority? Should we even stop saying the Pledge of Allegiance to our flag? Now, before you leap to answer that, be careful how you respond to that question because you might find yourself disagreeing with Jesus in our passage today. What is the proper place of government in the life of a Christian? Boy, that's an important question in this day in time. What is the proper place of government in the life of a Christian? Where should our allegiance lie? Just how loyal should we be to federal and state authorities? That's the question we want to find the answer to uh, this morning. And we'll discover the answer by observing two allegiances in the verses before us. Uh, we'll see in this passage where we should place our loyalty by understanding two allegiances Jesus mentions in verses 13 through 17. But before we hear Jesus' teaching on government, we need to examine the trap that was set for him. There is a trap set out in his path, so to speak, uh, that I want to make you aware of and describe to you. And here in this trap, an alliance of Pharisees and Herodians attempt to trap him in his words. Uh, let me mention three things about this trap. Uh, it involved an alliance. Let me point out to you who's involved in this alliance. There are Pharisees and Herodians. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They, the second word in my translation, is a reference to a, a group above them, a larger group. This was the group mentioned back in chapter 11, verse 27. Uh, um, As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. It's essentially representatives from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the authority for Jews at that time. Uh, those were representatives. And so here, the Sanhedrin has sent two other groups to Christ, Pharisees and Herodians. But that these two joined forces is very unusual. Uh, the Pharisees, you might recall, is a conservative religious group. Uh, traditionalists who strictly follow the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders and also encouraged others to do the same. Uh, this group, the Pharisees, chafed under Roman uh, rule. 
and were not cooperative uh, with the Romans, only, only to the extent that they could continue the practice of the Jewish faith. Herodians, on the other hand, uh, were a political party that supported the rule of Herod and his sons. Herod was a puppet of Rome. And so the Herodians were all about compromise and cooperation with the Roman government. It's a very unlikely alliance. But as perhaps you've heard the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And this is what's taking place here. The one thing that Pharisees and Herodians could agree on was that Jesus had to go. So they joined forces uh, to oppose him. And that's who's involved in this unlikely alliance, a strange group of, of people that comes to Jesus. Well, then I want you to see, secondly, the pretense. Uh, this unholy alliance attempts to uh, flatter Jesus, butter him up, as we might say. Look at verse 14 now. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, that really, those really are true statements. That was the way Jesus interacted with people. And oh, if they'd only believed it, because they don't. Uh, we know that um, they don't really mean it because of what Jesus says in verse 15. Look at the first phrase, but knowing their hypocrisy. In truth, as I've mentioned, both groups were staunchly opposed to Jesus and in fact wanted to destroy him. As far back as chapter 3, they declare this intention to destroy Jesus. It said in Mark 3.16, the Pharisees went out uh, and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Uh, even as far back as chapter 3, they've had it in for Jesus. These two unlikely groups uh, begin this alliance all the way back in chapter 3. And ironically, they're trying to influence Jesus with their compliments. Uh, the very person whom they say does not care about people's compliments. Um, the, the, the very person whom they say does not care about others' opinions. This is, this is their pretense, um, thinking that they could somehow flatter Jesus. And then next, I want you to note the question. This is where the, the trap is sprung. Now, they ask about the explosive issue of paying taxes to Caesar. They bring up their question in, at the end of verse 14. If you glance down to the last sentence, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? This is the poll tax, a poll tax that they're referring to, and it was levied as on the Jews as a result of a census. Um, it was essentially the price that every man and woman paid for the privilege of existing. And the amount required for this poll tax was one denarius, which if you recall is about a day's wage in the time of Jesus. 
And the reason it, it was such an explosive question was because the Jews were rigorously opposed to it. This tax would have been a constant reminder that they were uh, uh, con a conquered people and subjects of the Roman Empire. And any time they had to pay a tax, uh, they, it reminded them that they were not free. And so the Pharisees would have opposed this tax. And there was another group known as the Zealots. They especially opposed this tax. The Zealots held that allegiance to God and allegiance to Rome were completely incompatible. The Herodians, on the other hand, they're all about compromise. They're all about cooperation. They support Herod and his sons. They would have supported the poll tax. So this is the essence of the trap. If Jesus supported paying taxes to Rome, he would have lost favor with the people. They would have given him up because most Jews were opposed to the poll tax. And if he opposed paying taxes to Rome like the Pharisees uh, and others and the Zealots, he would have been quickly reported to the Roman authorities as a rebel. And the Romans were known to deal with rebels quickly and brutally. And so he has no way out. It's a dilemma they've cooked up to try to trap him in his speech. And believing they had successfully sprung the trap on Jesus, you can almost start to see the grins forming on their faces. They had him in this inescapable uh, uh, dilemma. Either way, they had him, or so they thought. But from the trap, the second part of our passage, we see the teaching. And that is Jesus' teaching on this controversial subject of the government. And in this portion of our passage, Jesus teaches that believers have two allegiances. We have two allegiances. Um, first, uh, believers have an allegiance to government. Jesus teaches that you and I have a duty to the government. You might find this hard to swallow, but look at verse 15 in your Bible. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Again, a denarius is the amount required for this poll tax. Again, it's about a day's wage. Back in that day, it was a silver coin with the image of Tiberius Caesar on one side, which is the left side for you, and a picture or an image of his mother on the other side of the coin. Inscribed on Tiberius' side was this Latin inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Inscribed on the other side was the Latin inscription, High Priest. Both inscriptions would have been highly offensive to the Jewish people. Uh, they believe that those titles should not be applied to any human, let alone a Roman. 
So it was widely held among Jews that to use this coin would have been to participate in idol worship because it, it literally contained a graven image. Jews usually used copper coins with no image at all. But glance down to verse 17 and take note of what Jesus says there in the first part of that verse. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, that might not sound very impressive to you and all that important. It is actually a brilliant answer to their question. Since Caesar's image is on the coin, then give the coin back to him by paying the poll tax. Uh, the word you see in, in uh, verse 17 uh, the first word of Jesus, quote, render. Uh, that word means to pay back, uh, to repay something, to discharge a debt. And through these words, Jesus was saying that the people who are subjects, Jews in this case, they were in debt to the ruling power, the Romans. Christians too were indebted to Rome because they were able to take advantage of the Roman Empire and what it provided. Uh, the Roman Empire provided a system of roads. They benefited from the Pax Romana, the, the relative peace and order that the Roman Empire imposed on the world. Christians took advantage of both of these things to spread the good news about Christ throughout the ancient world. If, if you drove here on paved roads this morning... If you stopped at a stoplight, you've participated in the government in some way. If you bought coffee at Starbucks, you paid sales tax, and you've participated in the commerce of the city of Canton. You've participated in government even before you got here, whether you knew it or not. Paying the poll tax, Jesus says, was a way for Jews and Christians to discharge their indebtedness to Rome. Again, the word is render to Caesar. Pay back to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And please, note especially this one thing, that through his statement, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Jesus taught that government was a valid institution. Jesus taught that government had a valid function in a society and also that believers had an allegiance or a duty to that government. And also note that Jesus said this at a time when the Roman government was corrupt and godless. Uh, R.C. Sproul put it like this. Uh, uh, this statement uh, the, shows that the moral behavior of the state is to have no bearing on whether Christians pay their taxes. He's right. Kent Hughes adds this, Jesus assumes the validity of the secular state and its demands even when it is controlled by a man who thinks he is God. A poorly run state is better than no state at all. So then what Christ is teaching from this phrase, please take note of this, 
is that Christians have an allegiance or a duty to government even when that government is corrupt and godless, which we would admit seems to be the case in the United States of America. We are indebted to the government. However, there are times when a Christian should resist authority. Uh, we must resist government when they're asked to when we're asked to disobey a command of God or act in a way that violates our Christian conscience. It's a clear example of this in Acts chapter four and five. Uh, you might remember the disciples are arrested and imprisoned for teaching in Jesus' name. Brought before the Jewish council, they are forbidden to speak in Jesus' name. Of course, uh, that doesn't stop them. They keep right on teaching and were arrested a second time. That's not because they're anarchists. It's because the Sanhedrin has commanded something that is in opposition to what Christ has commanded them to do. When, they, uh, when asked why they hadn't stopped teaching in Jesus' name, Acts 5.29 says this, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The command of God far outweighs the commands of men. So, so when you and I as believers are asked to disobey a command of God or violate our conscience, like the disciples before us, we must obey God rather than men. And we have seen believers do this uh, in several places over the last several years. So with this exception in mind, uh, one allegiance that every believer has from the very lips of Jesus, one allegiance we have is to the government. We benefit from highways, emergency services. If you've ever called 911, you participate in the government. Uh, if you've ever flushed your toilet, you participate in the government's sewer systems. We owe a debt to the government. It's stunning to think how much we participate in the government. One way we discharge this debt is by paying taxes. This is not the only allegiance Christ mentions, of course. He goes on to mention a second allegiance, an allegiance that is far superior and far greater than our allegiance to the government. Another allegiance that a believer has is an allegiance to God. Look at verse 17 once more. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The ancient world believed that um, the coin, uh, like the denarius, uh, those coins belonged to the person who was pictured on the coin. And so they believed that uh, Jesus was essentially saying, give this coin that bears the image of Tiberius back to him. But give this other coin, so to speak, that bears the image of God back to him. Give this denarius back to Caesar, but give the whole of your lives back to God. The coin was Caesar's because it bore his image, and we're God's because we bear his image. Give this coin to Caesar, but give God back to him what belongs to him, which is all our whole lives. 
in the creation account, Genesis 1, uh, the word says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. What's it mean to be created in the image of God? It's, it's not a reference to, to uh, physical appearance. Uh, it says male and female, he created them. And God is depicted as a father in Scripture. Jesus Christ was a male so what does it mean we're made in the image of God? It means that unlike the animal world, please hear that, unlike the animal world, now this is for you who think dogs are people too, or those of you who think cats are people too. I have both. I can't complain. Unlike the animal world, there are characteristics that men and women share in common with God. Humans have certain capacities that set them apart from the animal kingdom, uh, the ability to reason, the sense of our personal existence, the sense of right and wrong. I really wish my pets had a sense of right and wrong. They don't. Pagans, both of them. <laughs> the capacity for relationships that are governed by love, the capacity for creativity in the arts, and perhaps others. Uh, these are ways we resemble God. Resemble God, please. Resemblances that both men and women possess. This second statement of Jesus then, uh, Jesus declares that duty to Caesar is surpassed by duty to God. Far surpassed, in fact. God claims total ownership of every person in the world, including every person seated here this morning, including every person watching us online or listening to this online. God claims the total ownership of us all because we bear his image. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson sum it up. Jesus put the question of living under Caesar in its proper place, a distant second behind the more important question of living in the kingdom of God. So believers have a second allegiance, and we would say a far greater allegiance uh, based on this phrase from Jesus, and to God the things that are God's. We have a, an allegiance to government, but surpassing that, we have an allegiance to God. So this is Jesus' teaching on the government, and he presents two allegiances in this passage for us. One allegiance to the government, a second allegiance, and a greater allegiance, a surpassing allegiance is to God and his son, Jesus Christ. We have the image of God stamped on us our whole lives 
belong to him. Well, so then let's go back to the question we asked at the beginning. What's the proper place of government in the life of a Christian? Where, where should our allegiances lie? How loyal should we be to federal government and state authorities? And, and should we even say the Pledge of Allegiance based on some of the things our politicians, our leaders are saying? Well, Jesus quite clearly uh, teaches that you and I have two allegiances. One is to the government. Yes, government is a legitimate thing. And we have an allegiance, a, a duty uh, to the government, a duty to pay taxes, a duty to obey the laws of the government, except, of course, when those laws command us to violate God's commands or violate our consciences. But second, not only do we have an allegiance to the government, we have an, an allegiance to God. We bear his image, and God has a claim on all of our lives. Let me uh, conclude with some applications. There are, are probably more applications than I will mention because they keep coming to me. One is that... Uh, Jesus' teaching might not make much sense to you. You might completely disagree with it. And that's especially true if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. Uh, and I would add further that there is no way that you could render your life back to God without his Holy Spirit in you prompting you to do that. And so first I say if, if, if you're not a believer, if you've never come to trust in the atoning death of Christ, then that's the first place to begin, is, is understanding that your sin separates you from a holy God, and that each one of us must turn away from our sins and turn to Christ's work on the cross and put our faith in his atoning work. A second application would be to show honor to government officials. We are commanded to show honor to government officials. This, of course, excludes uh, any poster that mentions uh, the name Brandon in the, in the slogan. That should not be on our lips. Listen to the Word of God uh, call believers to show honor. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And this is Peter writing at a time when the emperor was probably Nero. There was nothing honorable about Nero. 
except that he bore the title emperor. And so this reinforces the point that whether our government is corrupt or not, uh, we have an allegiance to our government. And we're to honor those in authority. Some of you chafe. Some of you don't like it one bit. Well, take it up with the Lord. Uh, it's, it's, it's not what I'm commanding. I'm just telling you what God's word says in black and white. There's a third application. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Uh, Romans 13 that we read earlier. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, clearly, we are called to pay our taxes, both uh, from Jesus' words in our passage and from Romans 13. A fourth application. Pray for our leaders. This is Paul's word in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He calls us to pray for all those in authority. And so let me ask you who are so violently opposed to our president, uh, President Biden, when's the last time you prayed for the man? I've never prayed for the man, you might say. Well, then it's on you, friend. You are called and commanded by God to pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, pray that God will uh, grant them repentance. Pray that God will bring them to saving faith in Jesus, his son, even though they might already declare that they are Christians. Uh, by your fruits, you shall know them as uh, the word says. And we are called to pray for our leaders, uh, federal, state, even local leaders. Um, we are called to pray. So uh, to begin with, trust Christ as your Savior and Lord if you never have, because you, you can't follow through on this without Jesus and Him, his spirit working in you to do this. Show honor to government officials pay your taxes, and pray for your leaders. Let me pray for us today. Father, much of this goes against our culture, what our culture tells us, even our conservative culture tells us. And... Uh, it's clear that even our conservative culture does not honor uh, the emperor as your word instructs us to do. So Lord, whatever opinion we held coming in here today, by your good spirit, change our opinion so that it conforms to what your word says. And let us remember those words that we read in uh, 1 Peter. This is the will of God that we submit to our authorities. So uh, 
we cannot do this in our own strength because we oppose them. We disagree with their policies, and so we should because they violate what your word says. But Lord, help us draw the line and stop short of anarchy and dishonor and disrespect because people are looking at us. People in the world are watching how we behave. And we want to set a godly example before them. Uh, indeed, you call us to be model citizens. You indeed call us to abide by the speed limit. We cannot do this in our own strength. Please empower us with your good spirit, Jesus, and do conform our minds to what your word says. This we pray through Christ. Amen.